Well, I pray that you are uh, enjoying this beautiful weather. What a great time of year. Long days, sunshine. Um, eternity is probably like this. We're, we're talking about living with the, with the end in mind. And when we talk about that, the scriptures encourage us to, to be mindful of our God-given purpose, to live in light of eternity. One of our biggest mental strongholds that prevents us from living with the end in mind is our relationship with money. It's a big one. What God intended to be a blessing in our lives can many times bind us. Money can be enthroned in our hearts and serve as if it's the God that provides us with freedom, with power, with status, with an identity, with security. Sometimes we jokingly say when we get baptized that the last thing to get baptized is our wallet because we go under the water and we keep the wallet above the water. Now, if we understand the Scriptures today, if we understand what is being taught through 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it'll change the way that we think about financial resources, the way that we invest them. In our text today, Paul uses a farming metaphor, an agricultural metaphor, to teach some really important truths. A number of years ago, I think I told the story here, a number of years ago, a friend of mine, he planted two pear trees in his front yard. And then he promptly went on vacation. Uh, he texted me, Ray, could you water the trees while I'm gone? So I texted him back, how much will you pay me? That's a good time to negotiate when he's gone. <laughs> and he wrote back, your payment will be in pears. So I googled pear trees. How long do you think it takes for a pear tree to bear fruit? Four to six years. That is a long time. That's like eternity, right? I was on his front yard recently. The two pear trees are still growing. Probably no payment this year. <laughs> so what motivates us? If we plant a seed, if we water a plant, if we invest time, energy, money in a person or a project, what motivates us? What guides us? Are there biblical principles that lead us forward? What is our expectation when we invest? The newest member of our preaching team is going to read this morning's text, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. So Ezekiel, come on up here. Let's give him a hand. Go for it. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15. But this I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he had dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, may supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. 
while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service, not only the supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Ezekiel. I have a feeling this boy will be back again. <laughs> Sign him up. Uh, verse 6. The point is this, Paul says. Paul wants us to understand something. He wants us to understand something, to remember something. Whoever sows in a miserly fashion will reap in a miserly way. Whoever sows bountifully, that is, generously, will reap a bountiful har harvest. And, and the word bountiful there, it carries the idea of God actually gracing us, giving us something so that we can sow and reap. Generous sowing, it's actually always based on God's grace. So the first biblical giving principle that'll enable us to live with the end in mind is this. God is the source of the giving and of the harvest, not us. Sometimes we tell ourselves that we are actually the source of the giving. No, God is the source of the giving and the harvest, not us. The verse, it explains a, a, a well-known proverb, or expands it. You reap what you sow. You find this proverb in the Old Testament in many places, especially in the wisdom literature. Proverbs 11, verse 24 is a good example. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Today, this proverb is applied to financial giving, but it can actually be applied to many areas of life. It can be applied to sowing the gospel seed, for example, evangelism. It can be applied to leadership. It can be applied to spiritual gifts. Now, think about sowing for a minute. A farmer never says this, oh, I wish I would have kept all of my seed in the storehouse for another 10 years. What was I thinking? No farmer considers sowing as a loss of seed because he knows that by sowing he will reap a harvest and also receive seed for the next season. The farmer, he willingly sows all he can because every farmer knows that miserly sowing leads to a miserable harvest. The problem with being tight-fisted, with closing our fists, is that it's, it's actually an irrational act of fear. When we do that, we're actually saying that we're afraid that God will not provide more. When we sow, what kind of harvest is, is in mind? What kind of harvest is reaped by generosity? And I think there's, it's important to give a word of caution here because sometimes people are enticed to believe that the more they give, the more they will be given. In other words, the appeal is made to greed, to encourage people to open their wallets because if they just give a bit more, they'll get more for themselves. 
Paul is not talking about some shrewd investment strategy here, showing people how to receive even more material blessing by giving. We have to interpret verse 6 in light of verse 7 in the following verses. Look at verse 7. Each one must give, or it could be translated so, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly. As he has decided in his heart, could be translated as he has decided beforehand. So we're not talking about manipulated giving here. We're not talking about someone being coerced into opening their wallet. No, this is prayerful giving, out of inner conviction given by the Holy Spirit. Not reluctantly, not begrudgingly, not resentfully, not under compulsion, under pressure. For God loves, he approves of, a cheerful giver. This understanding, it comes right out of the Old Testament. For example, Deuteronomy 15, verse 10. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. So God desires a willing gift. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 5. A willing gift, not as an exaction. God doesn't want our giving as if it's a fee being paid, a tax being demanded. We give cheerfully, this is the second giving principle, we give cheerfully because God does, not because we have to. We give cheerfully because God does. It's the way he is, not because we have to. Pastor Mark Birch said last week, I'll quote him, there's a generous person inside every single one of us because we are made in the image of a generous God. That's a beautiful statement. So if we're followers of Jesus, if we're disciples of Jesus, we give because Jesus gave. He gave it all. Disciples of Jesus give because they serve a God who delights in generosity. That's the way he is. Disciples of Jesus give because the seed itself, the resource to be given, it comes by the grace of God. Again, quoting Pastor Mark, the very essence of the gospel we preach and sing about is a gospel of generosity. If I am not a generous person, it is because I don't get the gospel. So being a follower of Jesus, it just works itself out in every area of our lives, including the area of finances. And if I'm not generous, I have to ask myself, have I understood, have I I actually embraced the gospel? What's critical is not the amount. It's, It's your heart, it's my heart. What's critical is not even the need of the other. It's our heart. That's what God is looking at. If we're reluctant to sow generously, we refuse to trust God that he is truly who he says he is, all-sufficient and all-gracious, abundant in his grace. It also assumes that we can only give if we're prospering. In other words, there are moments in our lives when we're exempt, when we don't need to give. If God is truly our provider, if he is all gracious, there is actually a never a moment when we cannot give. I remember being a student. I was in university, and um, I had enough money to pay tuition, room, and board. I remember going into the office of my anthropology professor. He had a list of questions for me. One of the things that he asked me was, Ray, do you give to others? And I very confidently said, no, I don't, because I can only pay my own bills. And I honestly thought I was okay. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Ray, if you don't learn to give out of your poverty, you will probably never give. 
And I believe that to be a very true statement. I've never forgotten it. Paul writes in verse 8, And God is able to make, God is powerful to increase, all grace abound to you, he writes, for you to have more than enough, so that having all sufficiency, all contentment, we'll talk about contentment next week, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound overflow in every good work. Notice Paul's repeated mention of all. All grace, all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every, could be translated all, good work. So five times. I think Paul wants his readers to understand something. What he's saying is that God is lavishly generous and abundantly supplies everything necessary to have enough for our own needs and to be generous to others. Just think about it for a while. God gives in abundance. We receive the gift of eternal life. Is it for a few days or for eternity? The peace that we receive from the Holy Spirit, is it just kind of a small measure or is it peace that passes understanding? The secure hope that we have in Jesus, Paul refers to it as an abundant hope in Romans chapter 15. So we can so generously in the confidence that God rewards generosity with an abundant harvest. That's what the scriptures say. We can't outgive God. When we are miserly in our giving, we worry that somehow God will not be God, that we will not have enough for ourselves. We live with a scarcity mindset. You know, the, the few resources that we have, it's not enough for me and others, so I have to hang on to what I have. This was illustrated for me a number of years ago, 2012. I thought that I'd been working too hard and too long, and so I went to a lake in northern British Columbia, somewhere between Nimple Lake and Vanderhoof, Eligook Lake. A friend had a cabin there, said, go there, rest. Uh, another friend flew me in in his float plane, and he knew that I wasn't a fisherman. He knew that I was, wasn't an outdoors person, and so he was joking with me along the way. As we were flying in, he said, if you fish, you should catch a fish every 15 minutes. Hmm. little later, he says, and if you do fish, watch out for the crazy loon. I thought for sure he was pulling my leg. So I'm at the lake alone. I'm the only person on the lake. After a few days, I've observed fish jumping day after day. There's an abundance of fish. So I think, okay, I'm going to get into the boat. The pilot had given me a rod, and I go to the place where the um, river is entering the lake. It's where the eagle is fishing. So I go over there. I cast my line. As soon as I do, the crazy loon shows up. When I get a fish on my hook, the loon swims under the water and takes the fish off my line. Now, think about it for a minute. This loon has all of the resources under heaven to fish. There's an abundance of fish in this lake, enough for him and for hundreds of loons. And he wants my fish. That's greed. That's a scarcity mindset. So I started trolling with the loon flying behind me. And I caught a fish every 15 minutes. 
You know, when God gives us resources, resources, he gives us more than we need. Not so that we can have more, but so that we can be like him, be generous. And we can't outgive God. Just ponder for a moment. The absurdity of the thought that somehow you or I would be more generous than God. That somehow we would manage to be more generous than the creator of the universe if we should give. So the third giving principle, we give out of God's abundance mindset, not a scarcity mindset. Abundance mindset. Paul writes in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you may abound in every good work. The giving, the gracious act, it doesn't earn grace. It doesn't earn blessing from God. No, we give because God has been gracious. He has been good to us. Abundant giving comes out of God's gracious, abundant provision. You know, we tend to think differently. McLean's Magazine did a study a number of years ago. They surveyed uh, people from different segments of the Canadian population, and they asked the question, how much more do you need to have to have enough? How would you answer that question this morning? How much more do you need to have to have enough? The answer across the board from the poor, the middle income, and the rich was 10%. Just 10% more, and we would have enough. W.M. McGregor, he writes, A selfish man is never rich. His day is as long as his neighbor's, yet he has no leisure except for his own amusements, no sympathy or concern beyond his own perplexities, no strength but to fight his own battles, and no money except for his own need. What haunts his mind at every turn is the dread of having too little for himself. Now, those who know Jesus think differently. Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Paul is quoting Psalm 112 here, a psalm that describes the righteous person, the generous person. Now, this would have been good news for the people in Corinth because in Corinthian culture, giving to the poor, to the destitute, was considered to be nonsensical and absurdity. There was no value in it. All you would get as your reward would be praise, and that was worthless. And here comes this thought from the Old Testament because throughout the Old Testament, God is presented as one who cares for the poor and those that are rightly related with him also care for the destitute. And those acts of charity, they have an eternal impact. Listen to Paul again, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply. The idea is supply plentifully. And multiply your seed, increase your store of seed for sowing and increase, cause to grow the harvest of your righteousness. Notice the progression of supply, multiply, increase. And all of that, the supply, the multiplication, and the increase comes from God. So the third, sorry, just highlighting that this biblical principle can be applied to planting the gospel seed, it can be applied to finances, it can be applied to investing 
the gifts that God has given us. I remembered a a story from the Gospels as I was studying this text, a story that's found in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus is in a desolate place, together with his disciples and a large crowd, 5,000 men plus women and children. So probably a crowd of more than 10,000. Jesus asks the crowd to sit down on the grass, And the challenge before the disciples is to find a way to feed all these people. And the disciples respond saying, impossible. This is going to take 200 days of wages. There is a boy, though, that has five loaves and two fish. And my thought this week was, do you think that in a crowd of 10,000, there was only one little boy with some bread and fish? No one else had anything in their pockets. I doubt it. But the little boy put forward his loaves and fish. And Jesus took that and thanked the Father and multiplied it. I bet that boy was telling that story for the rest of his life. I just had five loaves and two fish. I gave it to Jesus and boom, the whole crowd. Now, if you never take that step of faith, you never have a story to tell. Paul writes in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That word thanksgiving there, it's the word that is used to describe the Lord's Supper quite often, Eucharist, the giving of thanks. The giving of thanks is the appropriate response to God's grace. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying, providing fully the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Those words, the ministry of this service, is is actually priestly service. And so giving is an act of worship. When we're here together as a church family, the, the worship doesn't end with the last song. It continues through our giving. It continues actually throughout the whole service. It should continue throughout our whole lives, wherever we are. A life of worship. So when we give, it's God acting through us for the common good. That's why Paul lists giving as a spiritual gift in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Because the desire to give comes from God. It's an act of the Spirit. Whatever we give, whatever we have received, it's a gift of God. And so it's the Holy Spirit working through us from beginning to end. In the context, of course, Paul has in mind this collection for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is in dire need. And he says to the Corinthians, if you are faithful in your giving, it's going to have two outcomes. One is material. The physical needs of the Jerusalem church will be met. Secondly, there's a spiritual outcome. It will generate a great harvest of thanksgiving to God. So you, as a, as a generous church, you will, you will give thanks to God for all that you have received, and then you will give with cheerful hearts. And those who receive, they'll respond with praise and thanksgiving because of what you have given, a harvest of thanksgiving. Verse 13, by the approval of this service, They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God 
upon you. That first phrase, by their approval of this service, it could be translated through this service by which you have proved yourselves. That's a, that's a possible translation because in chapter 8, verse 8, talk, Paul talks about the Corinthians proving that their love is genuine through their generosity. God doesn't always test us through affliction, right? Through suffering. Sometimes the moments of greatest testing are those moments of relative prosperity. When God has blessed us abundantly and we have much. Listen to God's warning to the people of Israel. The people of Israel are about to enter the promised land, about to cross the Jordan River. And this is what God says to the people in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not giving his command, keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God and who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Now, isn't that an easy thought to have when we've made some money? This money that I have, it was my power, my intelligence. That's how I made what I made. When we confess Jesus as Lord, we're saying that he is Lord over every area of our lives, including our finances. We recognize that all things belong to God, that everything that we have received, we have received by God's gracious hand. Paul writes, because of your obedience to the gospel, to the Corinthians, because of your concrete, lived-out obedience of your confession of Jesus as Lord, God will receive the glory. And there's going to be a mutual benefit. So the Corinthian example of generosity, it's going to really inspire those who are poor in Jerusalem because they're going to see this example of submission to Jesus as Lord among the rich. And their example of fellowship, wow, it will cross ethnic lines. It will bind the church. And those who receive the gift in Jerusalem will pray for the Corinthians. They will carry the Corinthians in their hearts. I've seen examples of this around the world in so many different places where people who are much poorer than us in North America have received out of North American generosity and they intercede for us in North America. They are grateful to God for us. Paul ends with, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Which gift is he referring to? Which gift of God is indescribable? Just can't be put into words. Well, he's referring, of course, to Jesus. 
The gift of Jesus is indescribable and it's inexpressible. And it's because God has given us so much what we just celebrated at the Lord's Supper. Because God has been so gracious to us, we respond in generosity. We give for God's glory and praise, not ours. The fourth principle. We give for God's glory and praise, not ours. You know, what we do with our money, it becomes a litmus test for our love for God and our love for our brothers and sisters. One of the ways that we dethrone money in our lives is by giving it away. And you might ask, well, well, what's the teaching of the church? How much should we give? Well, the teaching at Willingdon Church for many years, for decades, has been that members should tithe. That's not a membership tax. It's an act of worship. Listen to Randy Elkhorn. The tithe is God's historical method to get us on the path of giving. In that sense, it can serve as a gateway to the joy of grace giving. It is unhealthy to view tithing as a place to stop, but it can still be a good place to start. I detest legalism, he goes on. I certainly don't want to try to pour new wine into old wineskins, imposing superseded first covenant, that is Old Testament, restrictions on Christians. But at the same time, every New Testament example of giving goes far beyond the tithe. However, none falls short of it. And then we ask, well, is that a tithe on the gross or the net? When we talked about human sexuality, we saw how important it is to be authentic, to be transparent. And so as I talk about finances, you might be asking the question, what do you do, Pastor Ray? Funny you should ask. I'll tell you. My practice is to give 10% of the gross. I do it at the beginning of the month. I do it online. It's an automatic payment. Why? Because that way I don't forget. I don't have to think about it. It's one less thing to think about it. It's what my parents taught me to do. It's what Willingdon Church does. And I think it's a great place to start. I have never felt that I have needed those 10%. I've noticed another thing about my heart. I often think that I'm more generous than I actually am. So again, when I did my tax return this year and I added up the facts, what I had truly given, I was a bit disappointed in myself. But one thing about the practice of tithing is that it frees you to be generous as needs arise throughout the year. I must admit that I am quite challenged by today's text because it's teaching an abundance mindset. And to be quite honest, I believe that God needs to transform my way of thinking. Have you ever attended a church that appears to have enough? Maybe you think that way about Willingdon Church. I remember joining Northview Church in Abbotsford. Northview Community Church is a church that God has blessed in many ways. I had just become a member there. And I was sitting in the pews as you are today, and I was thinking about how I would give. And I literally had these thoughts. God, this church is rich. This church does not need my giving. There are hundreds of projects around the world much more desperate than this one. I think I can manage my tithe better than the elders at Northview. And as I was sit there, sitting there, it was right during the worship, God spoke to me so clearly, and I came under conviction that I should actually give to my local church, 
that I should trust him as the head of the church, as the chief shepherd, and trust the leadership of the church to give generously for the good of that church and the kingdom. It's an act of submission. We can find lots of reasons to not tithe. Sometimes I hear this, I'm in debt. How can you expect me to give? We'll talk about that next week. For today, just look at the scriptures. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 15. Ponder those giving principles. One, God is the source of the giving and the harvest, not us. We give cheerfully because God does, not because we have to. God doesn't actually want you to give here with your arm twisted behind your back, forced to give. It would not honor him. We give out of God's abundance mindset, not a scarcity mindset. We give for God's glory and praise, not ours. So what is God asking of you and me? Well, to pray and decide in our hearts before him what we should do. And then in response to God, give cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. I was hoping for a resounding amen. (laughs) Amen. Okay. (laughs) Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, we just recognize again how gracious you have been, how abundant you are in your giving. And forgive us, Lord, when we just do not believe that you are who you say you are, when we doubt your provision, when we are miserly in our giving, in our generosity. Lord, may this sink deeply into our hearts that you're the source of the giving, that you're the source of the harvest. Oh God, may we give cheerfully because you give cheerfully. May we give out of an abundance mindset. May we give for your glory, for your praise, for the furtherance of your kingdom, not ours. And so we pray, Lord, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and your love, Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship that binds us, May it be ours in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a wonderful week.